Osiris. Welcome back to another episode of The Recovering Catholic. I'm your host, Katie Pruitt. Since the last episode, I've been seriously reflecting on the impact that church and religion have had on my life. In some ways, it's been extremely positive, like providing a community, comfort, and a moral compass. In other ways, it's been conflicting and damaging to my mental health. And I'm finding out that I'm not the only one who's conflicted. In today's episode, I talked to one of my favorite artists, Julian Baker. We explore the idea of accessing spirituality outside the confines of the physical church and what it means to appreciate the lessons in the Bible without taking it too literally. Julian's music and her story is living proof that we can harness our pain and vulnerability in order to heal ourselves and others, which is in and of itself divine. Here's a clip of Heatwave from Julian's new record, Little Oblivions. I'm recording on my end. Yeah, dude. I, I'm. I've been super excited to fucking talk to you. Yeah, dude. Are Are you kidding me? I've been very excited. When Kelly told me that you that she reached out to you, I was like, so sick. Like that's, like, I mean, dude. Okay, so I just to take you back to like kind of how I got introduced to you. Um, I saw you at Pride in 2015, which was like, I think that was the year that gay marriage was like legalized nationwide. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you played Nashville Pride, and like I fucking cried like a baby. Dude, <laughs> at your set. I was I was so bummed out with that performance. I'm gonna be real. I was like, of I course. It was really well, bad. on my end, it was awesome. But <laughs> okay, I feel you. I've been in your shoes too, where I'm like, that was a terrible performance, but it affected me deeply. Yeah, yeah. You know, it oh, was one of those dude. things where, I mean, it was just inspiring um, to see you up there and just like. Oh my God. Yeah. It was emotional. And I was sort of struggling. Like I had just recently come out to my parents at that point and was wow. struggling with like, I wonder if I can do this and like talk about what I want to talk about on stage. And like, there you were like, as it's sort sort of just empowered me to write my story. And so, yeah, I mean, whether or not you thought it was a good performance or not, like it, <laughs> It cut through, Dude, you know. That's that's crazy. That makes me like I'm I'm really bad at like accepting compliments, but I'm gonna try to be humble and not invalidate you at the same time because that's like I've I've been 
thinking a lot about what it is about music that actually fulfills me. And, you know, like everybody these days, just like reevaluating your priorities and hearing that is like, wow, that's okay. That's, that's the one thing that if I could do nothing else or if nothing else about music made me happy, like that, man, that's so important. And I've also been thinking, it's, it's so great that it was like at Nashville Pride, because I've been thinking so much, especially now that I'm not on the road all the time about like, I've been really diving into like the older queer people in my life and like trying to, the knowledge that they have to share and like the, um, trying to like learn from those relationships a lot. And yeah, I still, uh, consider myself a very like a baby queer but that makes me so happy to have had, <laughs> I do too like, uh, <laughs> but you're yeah. but you're not I mean you sort of you got your start um like when did sprained ankles come out um what, like 2015 or was it yeah it had it had to 2014 I, I mean well it had to be something that like year, that you were yeah it was like that year um but I dude I was so I was like 19 when i put that record up on Bandcamp, and then yeah. all of a sudden yeah like all of a sudden was like speaking to a lot of people at a time <laughs> about yeah um, queerness and like well and also like I you have been making music because for quite a while before expectations came out because I yeah, feel like that's I was true. aware of you like years before and then like I when everybody in my life was like yo you have to listen to this Katie Brute record it's so good I was like oh wow like I I don't know how has that journey been for you like because I obviously am a massive massive fan um of yours as well and I wow but I didn't (laughs) ever really have any context for like your music and I remember like listening to this record and thinking actually about myself like wow I I wonder if I have and this maybe is like, like dips into the surface of the iceberg of uh, religion and queerdom. But I was like, I wonder if I have been, if I had made all of my songs like pronoun specific, like pronoun free and like a specific mm-hmm. and never actually addressed um, candidly queerness in my music. Like why, why did I do that? And here's this person with a talent for songwriting that is like addressing things in such a straightforward way that were so difficult for me to address straightforwardly. And like, I don't know. So there's a mutual appreciation, I guess, between our music and the impact uh, that it's made um, on the other, because I was like, wow, I can't like, this is a younger person who is really using her platform to talk about things how they are without like mincing words I guess um but yeah how did you I guess that was one big long compliment no I I appreciate as a question like I I mean like because I didn't have any context for like I didn't know that it was that recently I guess 2015 isn't that recent but like I I came out when I was like 14 um yeah Yeah, see I waited till a little later yeah and so like I'm always interested to hear people's 
arc with that? Like, what? how did you decide, like, I don't know what your vision was for your music and to come right. out and to do this podcast? I mean, so here's the difference. I feel like, so you came out when you were 14, right? Mm-hmm. If I came out when I was 14, I don't know if I would be candidly using she pronouns to <laughs> describe who des- to describe who I loved either, you know? Sure. I think yeah. it was a different time. Like, you know, we have to look at like the time frame of when you were boldly playing at Pride and um sharing your story and I don't really think you had to be as specific as I was. Cause I mean, I took mm. notes from people like you, from people like Brandy, from people like the Indigo girls, Ugh. from, you know, people that were doing it and like, mm-hmm. maybe they weren't candidly going like she, I love her, you know, but like, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it was enough for me to take that bravery from all of the queer women and queer people that sure. I had seen play and mm-hmm. go, you know what? I can candidly talk about this and I will. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it's like, like on your end, I, if I put out a record that early on in my life when I was, what were you, 20 or 21 or? Yeah, I, well, I made the record when I was literally nominally still a teenager. And I try to wow. tell people that because there's some definite, like outside of not just like, that's one specific example, the, the genderlessness, I suppose, or the, the neuteredness of the songs and their object there's also like some real toxic like macho heteronormative lesbian assimilation vibes Mm, in in the old songs and i'm right now like in the midst of reconciling with like the parts of myself that because i came out young i i don't know it's it's very difficult uh, like to navigate but yeah, it's cool. I I really also don't like it's it's neat that the influence works forwards and backwards. You know what I right. mean? And like that I can be continuing to taking notes. I can be continuing to take notes from people doing things after me that I was like, "Oh, I can, you know, like I'm I'm so appreciative for you reaching out and having this conversation because it's like one more point of connection in queer community and that's how we learn and continue renegotiating like how we speak to each other and how we treat each other and how we represent ourselves in this world right um so yeah thank you for that of course dude it's seriously a true honor to have you on here and i know did you grow up in like a conventional type of religious background i mean you grew up in what the south like in tennessee yeah i grew up in memphis and um I, man, so when I was younger, I went to very traditional, like, I don't know, it's Christian, like, Christian evangelist, like, kind of non-aligned, which I have my only, like, I I have my spiel about non-denominational people because it's, like, a thing that you're supposed to rotate pastors in a lot of denominations, and being non-denominational just means you can really solidify that cult of personality around a single pastor, but, um, (laughs) that's my, that's my beef with non-denominational, um, but I, I have a beef with everything, so, um, and then I, like, (laughs) I, I stopped, I stopped going to church for a while like um because stuff was kind of like chaotic uh with my parents and they weren't going and I was a kid so of course I wasn't going and then I came back to church through this weird side door of 
like anar- an anarcho Christ punk kids Whoa. who were like, well, it didn't start exactly like that. Like, so I, I was dating a boy. Hilarious. Right? I was <laughs> when was <a> this? <laughs> <laughs> I was maybe like thirteen. Yeah. Oh yeah, I was in the eighth grade. Okay, because uh, I was about to go into high school uh, from junior high, and I was dating a boy, and he was like, "Come to church with me," and I was like, "Church is lame," and I don't even think I believe in God because I was an angsty little kid. And then I went, and first of all, I was a little punk, and the first thing I said to, like, the youth group leader lady was like, well, if there's God, then why is there war, too? Why wouldn't God just stop the war? Which is, like, the the body slam move (laughs) in my 13-year-old brain. And uh, for the first time ever, somebody, her name is Annalisa, and she's a sweet woman, and we're still friends. But um, she was like... I don't know what to tell you right now, but I'm going to go think about it and look up some Bible verses. And the next week I went back with my boyfriend and she handed me this like front and back page sheet of paper where she had actually tried to get it. And I was like, all right, like that was actually really sweet. And then I think another thing that made me made me stay was the fact that like, I don't know. It was just a community that kind of just like immediately enfolded me with very few questions and very little judgment um, about like my past or like, you know, I was like a weird kid with eyeliner and Hot Topic t-shirts and I like <laughs> wasn't cool and they would just let me be weird. And, you know, that then I got into youth group band because it was like a, the older 16 year olds playing Radiohead and me being like, I play a little guitar, too. So it's right. like it, it very quickly embedded itself in my life because I think I was a person who was vulnerable and seeking community. And that's why I still have such a difficult time completely dismissing the church or whatever, like the right. cultural implication, the faith tradition I was raised within. Totally. Um, I mean, it does yeah. that. That is the that is the redeeming quality of sort of the conventional church for me as well is that it is it does provide this sort of like safe community for people and this safe place mm-hmm. for people. Um, were, were there? I mean, did anyone were, were there any like kind of mixed messaging or mis- mixed signaling about homosexuality in the church you went to? Or was it sort of like, no, it's all good, we accept it? No, not at all. Like, well, and I think that I thought at the time, I mean, because my point of reference was literally living in the same city as Love in Action, the big, like, uh, conversion therapy facility run Whoa. by the Baptist, this Baptist megachurch there, Bellevue Baptist. Um, yeah, dude, it's a, there's actually a, I don't want to say incredible because I don't want to praise someone's pain, but there's a really, uh, uh, deeply important to me, a memoir called Boy Erased. Um, yeah. That I read. I've heard about of that. a guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it a movie? Yeah. 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 It's I've also a movie. movie. Yeah. And it's like, so it's like, there was a girl in my neighborhood that went there and you had to like walk around and like I don't know it's like and and that's not even me being like I don't want that to sound like I am using somebody else's 
suffering uh, to like legitimize mine or like using it as an accessory to my narrative. But like when that is the real standard that you have for how people and, you know, like people protesting at queer people's funerals, Mm. like if that's if that's the real uh, standard you have, it's like the fact that my church was like we don't uh, agree with gay marriage and we don't think that gay people should be able to be married, but it's fine that you have a girlfriend and we guess you'll just grow out of this. And Ah. me knowing that that didn't really sit right. Like I remember I can't, and I used to tell the story so triumphantly and now it like, it makes me look back on, you know, it helps to look back with a little perspective, but I like came out to my worship leader um, and that was the response. And I was so happy. I was like, oh gosh, I thought I was going to get like whatever kicked off the worship team. This sounds so lame, but yeah, I was a praise band kid for sure. Um, I was afraid okay. I was going to get like kicked, kicked out of the church and ostracized. And then they were like, well, we don't agree. And we kind of think that's a sin, but I guess you can keep hanging out. And it was just like, man, but that's still pretty hurtful. It's pretty hurtful, but you don't understand it at the time. Right. Because you're like, you are so, I feel like, gaslit into thinking that a person saying, I love you in spite of the fact that you are fundamentally wrong and broken Mm. and sexually perverse, like thinking that that is actually how how community works, right? So, right. And then, like, I, I, I moved away when I went to college. I mean, my church, okay, I just said all that, but there are, there were some truly kind people that I went to church with that were very, very kind to me and very accepting of me. And I think I have to, before I completely condemn them for invalidating my identity, which is what they did, before I completely condemn them, I do have to recognize all of the kindness that they extended to me and the, like... I hear you. Like the tools that they had are not the tools I had. Right. I might've been the only gay person they ever met. It's like they lived, they like grew up in Mississippi, no hate on Mississippi, but like, and I'm not saying they're excused, but I'm saying forgiving someone and holding them accountable don't have to be mutually exclusive. And, Mm. um, that's anyway, awesome. whatever. I'm already like up, up on my <laughs> soapbox. But no, um, I love it. This is perfect. So- I love how we're just diving right in. And honestly, I hear you. I think, I think taking into account um, someone else's perspective and life experience is super important. In not like you said, not um, it, that doesn't make it okay that they kind of were gaslighting you and and making mm-hmm. you feel like you were perverted and and messed up um but my I sort of feel a little bit the same with my parents and that is kind of what helped me just continuously reach out that olive branch and have these conversations with them because I'm like you know what this is the only this is what they've been taught this is what they know to be true and right and they're struggling with this and this is like something they're you know having a hard time with and I empathize with that does it does it make me feel less hurt? Definitely not. I'm still very hurt no. that they don't accept yeah. me. But I think it's really, really cool that you're able to sort of like put yourself in their shoes as well. You know, 
Um, I think that's powerful. And I honestly think that's what change ultimately changes people's minds if it does. Um, but sure. And also like whenever I say that, like, because I, I speak so much about empathy, um, and it's easy for me to say that because I am around, like, these are the people that are my family. These Mm. are the dude bros I went to high school with that I have to talk with. And I'm like, that work isn't emotionally possible uh, or reasonable to expect from everyone. So I never want to, like, I'm not out here telling somebody that has been abused and traumatized, um, so and brutalized by the church that they have to do that work but it's like I am in a position where I got to see a glimpse of moving towards acceptance in community and if I have have that experience like I can use my privilege in that way to like put in the work to have these conversations for the people that come after me and like the people that my mom talks to and the people Mm. that my dad talks to like the hair salon or like his job Mm. um like so anyway all that aside so then I like moved I know this is a long story but I think the context is super relevant to this conversation but I moved to college I knew zero people I I was in Murfreesboro Tennessee I moved up there. I knew literally zero people had no friends. And I was like looking for a church community, right? Because that was kind of the the axis my world revolved around like church and shows. Um, yeah. And I went, I started going to this one church uh, in Murfreesboro and I like liked it because it was all the freaking, I guess the Murfreesboro version of what I had gone to where it's like, beards and tattoo youth pastor and everybody's like <laughs> rocking out it's it's like rock church you know it's That's very great. non-liturgical so it's like metal uh, kids like, that <laughs> yes it's all it's literally Emo all kids metal that, kids that is crazy that... <laughs> there's there's all it types is... of versions of christians there's so many versions oh my god <laughs> rock star christianity yeah, yeah. i would i don't even want to get into the deepness of the like memphis city worship circuit that's mm-hmm. such a weird esoteric world but um and i was like going to this church and i was like okay this feels like all right but then they they played all these video testimonies one day and one of the video testimonies was like this woman a part of the congregation who was like, I, when I started coming to this church, I was like oh, partying no. all the time. I was like not doing what I needed to do. I was like sleeping with women. And <sighs> I was like, well, one of the, one of these things is not like the other. Yeah. <laughs> and then she, it, the testimony was like, with the help of this congregation and Jesus <sighs> Christ, I have overcome my queer. Shit. I, I know I know that side B people exist or in many forms, but it's very difficult for me to understand. But I saw that video and I straight up I couldn't come back. Mm. There was something like pr- primal in my body that was like I was just sitting there like y'all literally if you knew one fact about me would hate me like mm. and it was so screwed up. So then I Googled gay church and found a website called Gay Church where you type in your zip code and it tells you affirming uh, 
churches in your area and I wow. went to an an Episcopal church for the first time and it was super creepy because I had always gone to a rock church and I'd never <laughs> been to a whole like Anglican like they're doing the yeah like, smoke and it's the like diet Catholic and, um it's it's catty light <laughs> yeah yeah um, yeah definitely yeah so I hate that I just made a Catty your joke. <laughs> but, Episcopal beer um, joke. That's what the podcast should honestly be called is Caddy Light. Episcopal. <laughs> <laughs> but dude, so I, I went to this church. I it was super thrown off by the liturgy, and then a woman got up and delivered a sermon about how loving Christ means you have an obligation to work for social justice and like That's awesome. The bringing justice to people who are oppressed and I was like cool and then I this older gay woman came up to me and was like hey and like got my number and I I I feel that this happens a lot in other church like in standard church or whatever but this congregation was like maybe more than half older queer couples and I found out from I just went there for a really long time because it was Mm -hmm. just like a community of queer people trying to do something good in the community that got together and sang every Sunday. And yeah. I was like, yeah, that's what I want to do. Yeah, that's more in um, line with, with what you <laughs> believe. Yeah, I I feel that. So would you consider yourself then like a progressive Christian, like somebody that's like, I mean, that sounds like a sort of a more progressive church that is affirming of gay people that does proactively seek to help social justice issues i mean it seems like they're sort of with it like with the times a little more (laughs) well yeah and it's interesting because as my um uh so like i stopped going to that church i moved into nashville you know everybody drifted in and out of each other's lives as happens with friend groups or whatever every so years uh, every so many years and um yeah i don't know that i would still like sure that was maybe the closest thing to positive church I have ever experienced. Um, But I still, I think I spent so long, because I went to that church for like all throughout college and then I dropped out of college to tour. And for a long time, I feel like the talking points that I had with every single anybody, <laughs> um, who was like interviewing me or talking to me was like about the reconciliation of queerness with Christianity. And in the, in the last few years, I've just been sort of looking at, I don't know, wondering why I felt like I needed to advocate for this specific faith tradition. Um, Instead of taking the things, like, the lessons that I found useful and understanding that this is just one, like, this is just one interpretation of religion. Mm. Like, I don't know why I I feel, not regret, but I, I think there is more nuance to belief than how I used to speak about it. Like, I think I used to think of God as much more literal and like this singular cognitive being 
that is magical. This and now dude I'm that going... lives in the sky that lets you into this magical yeah. place with cobblestone streets and golden buildings. Yeah. Or even, like, I don't know, like, some amoeba floating, like, um, when uh, Mufasa appears to uh, yes, Simba, Simba yes. just kind of like, um, I love that metaphor. whatever, like a nebulous floating around, just kind of, but influencing everything and really, like, right. having a consciousness. And right. now I don't think of it like that, like, and I, I feel super bad, but it's like, I, I feel like it would. But you shouldn't feel bad. Um, you know, well, I, I, I know I, I literally I hate that I'm this much of a like softy, but I feel like it would <laughs> bum my it's going to bum my family out. Yeah. For me to be like, I don't think God is what you think God is. And I don't think the Bible is all that there is to say about God. My favorite like quote about God that I've like recently heard, of course, it's like from a movie with Julia Roberts in it, uh, Eat, Pray, Love. And it's like, God, oh my God, it's a great movie. God lives within me as me or God dwells in me as me or something like that. Um, I love that way of thinking about it because sort of taking a little bit from what you just said of why, why do I have to feel like I have to identify as a Christian or whatever to experience God or experience spirituality. Um, like, why can't I just take the things that, uh, that I really like about what, what they do or what I've, you know, my positive experiences from the church and apply it to my life without, you know, attending every week or without, I don't know, following the rule book or, or reading the Bible every night, you know, you sort of can take the things that work for you and apply it just to make you a better person the ways that you see fit. So, well, totally. And I also think that a lot of people's, a lot of people's qualms with that lie in this really weird binary ultimatum of understanding people's motivations that comes and this bad understanding or this poor understanding I think comes from the church and is reinforced by the church and that is that if a human being does whatever they want whatever they want will be bad Mm. so I think that honestly insults the sacredness of human beings and the fact that I think that there is you know like I I have such a beef with original sin because it teaches us to expect um ourselves and each other to default to evil when given the chance totally and I dude I mean that that reminds me of a line in your song that they say there's a fix for everything then why not me like it's this feeling of like, oh, I was born imperfect. I was born this like this thing that needs to be fixed. And especially I think that is the narrative that is taught to queer people, especially in the church. Like this is no, here's my I'm going to I'm going to give you my hottest take. Um, (laughs) I think that church is discourse. I think that Mm. when I see um somebody like one of my friends like shut down a really problematic hateful misinterpretation of the bible on twitter as much as i loathe to admit that something uh holy is taking place on twitter that is church like i Mm. think like honestly i've been waiting i'm so sorry i'm gonna be real with you i like 
like made some like notes because I have so much to say about this topic and I've been yo I did too someone... I'm looking at a note I'm looking at a <laughs> thing pulled up in my computer right now so don't even feel weird fuck yes dude okay so like I believe that the but like okay I want to back up to the part where you are talking about why do I have to express my love for God within the context of an institution. Right. Um, so I have, because I'm going to be real. I, before this interview, I opened up my Bible for the first time in straight up like three years. And I have been just like really thinking about like the purpose that, the Bible even serves and like how biblical literalism is so dangerous. But what I, at this time in my life, what I have come to think is if I want to acknowledge the subjectivity of God and our understanding of God, I still have to choose the dialect in which I'm going to talk about God. And like, I, I think that honestly, like there is a value in the storytelling and the like the historical document of the Bible. But I don't think of it anymore as the last and final testament about God. Because before you can decide, like, how you seek God or how you love God or whatever, you have to decide who God is. And again, like, when I say I think that church is discourse, I mean Jesus Christ, the historical um, Jesus or the storytelling device of Jesus or the the mythological Jesus, whatever, whichever interpretation of Jesus— in the Bible says, who do you say I am? And then gets asked if he's God at a different time. And he's like, who, who do you say? So I'm saying like this person was in, like, there's so much about Jesus. And the reason why I'm talking about Jesus right now is because literally nominally Christians claim to want to, above everything else, emulate Christ. So, like, what did historical Christ do except for hold religious institutions and corrupt religious leaders accountable? Right. He was progressive. Say he himself really was really radical thing. stuff. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Right. And so I'm like, He was, like, dude, tearing down the understand. institution. <laughs> True. And I'm like, well, but not, and also... If you want to say, like, I will use this method of discourse to speak to other people about what I think living justly and being a kind and loving person in this world means because it is the shared background that we all have. It is the shorthand that has been drilled into our brain and for so long used as a tool to oppress and manipulate us through fear and I feel that it is important to continue 
looking at the Bible as a historical document that whether we had agency or not in it has had an emotional impact on us and our schema of the world. And so for that reason, it's important for me, like, when I was looking back through my Bible, it's like I have all these little things written down because I thought I would see way more stuff written in the margins that made me cringe. And I didn't. But now it's just that I don't think of God as a consciousness. It's like I think of God as embodied in the other human being. I mean, it's like literally there are hundreds, hundreds of verses. And like this is not even, again, people I think love to... create this dichotomy between the old and new testament and and then like especially i feel like the cool church brand does this a lot like leans heavily on the emotionality and like the grace and the romans verse vibes about like um wherever sin abounds grace abounds more to be like but it's like from the wrong angle. Mm. It's still resting on this judgmental before and after where there was no way for God or the universe or consciousness to be satisfied with us evil human beings except for this horrible act of violence. And I don't think that's the, I think that's like missing the point. Because if we are to see literally so many times throughout the gospel, we are like Christ himself or whatever will say, like, I, doing kindness to others is to do kindness to me. To visit me in prison, to visit somebody else in prison, mm. that is a service to God. And it's like the whole time I feel like we are manifesting God as other, and God is not other. Right. I feel like if we can think that God is something actually inhabiting us, actually making up our human dignity, then the whole lesson in <laughs> in that is that we have to also look at other human beings as divine and we have to render them justice and not right. abuse and oppress them. So like the whole thing, like, sorry, I'm like, so it just makes me no, so I'm, mad. I'm listening. Like, you're on, you're on a roll here. Dude, I'm digging what you're saying. It's like, I mean, there are, it's just, there are hundreds of verses in the Bible too, from like even the old Testament. I mean, it's like literally Isaiah, Jeremiah, Zechariah, all of those. It's like your assemblies are worthless to me. It's like calling religious um, assemblies and institutions out for trying to make um, the worship of God into a ritual or into like a, a control like mechanism exactly. like a way to yeah, manipulate be- and control the masses which you know exactly I mean I think religion there, there's I was reading about cultural evolution like what does that mean and mm-hmm. cultural evolution is like any something a, like a religion's survival is based on the societal purpose that it serves. Yes. I mean, it's still sort of a mechanism sometimes to control the masses, and I think the way they do that is by painting God as this wrathful um, God that's going to strike you down, or like, it's like putting, instilling fear in people instead of love. Dude, no, you're right, but dude, the thing about fear, like, the reason why it is so important to understand that perfect love casts out fear is because love is not, it's like 
love is mutually exclusive to fear, like when it is done in perfection. And that's why like our imperfect love comes with insecurity and, and, um, of course. Yeah. And stuff. But it's like, when you think about that specific verse and about like all of, all of the times when God is equated to love, I mean, it's like first John, come on. Or like, dude, I just, to manipulate with fear is something that is literally antithetical to what people who call themselves Christians claim to believe. Right. And it's it sucks. Like, I mean, that's how I see people being manipulated politically, too. Right. It's like if you get if you pull back all of the layers of what drives so much hatred it's fear it's like fear fear and intimidation and a need for like power and it's so it's just like and i think it's important to understand religion now as as a political tool like yeah. it is because well, it is very political purpose that it is currently serving because which we, you've got i feel like you've got i mean Christianity, like everything else in our modern society, is politicized. You've got the mm. sort of this version of Christian that is sort of picketing at, at gay pride festivals and outside of abortion clinics and, um, you know, voted for a sure. reality TV star president that they deem to be the savior. Um, I don't know. I don't want to, like, demonized sure the the key there is judgment versus accountability and i feel like demonization happens when you're just straight up condemning a person right and like that kind of like dips back into the like love the sinner hate the sin thing that can still be so um destructive like even if people are trying to all like pacify you with like agreeing to disagree in love while like erasing your whole identity but like dude people are i i don't think what i'm trying to say is i'm trying to encourage you that i i don't think that what you're doing when you point to flaws in uh people's practice i don't think that is necessarily demonizing all the time and i i used to have a big problem with that because i didn't want to i was all like you know, there's a plank in my eye, so I can't, whatever. But, oh, yeah, before we get too far away from it, though, you said something really interesting about the space, like, the purpose of religious uh, institutions. Ser- yeah, yeah, yeah. So the purpose that it serves in society, and it's like, dude, first of all, if we can look at, like, let's make uh like like let's equate it to the the justice system if we can look at how our law has evolved over time and be like wow slavery was legal isn't that nuts like then why then why do we not if if theoretically christian people are interacting with a living god and a living word in and claim to uh, worship a God that is constantly revealing God's self, then it's like you have to understand how to historically contextualize the the thing, the documents that you are reading. Like right. the thing I remember, like 
I spent so much time as a kid worrying about friggin' Leviticus about like being mm, queer the until I was like, yeah, the clobber verses. I hate that. And I'm just like, dude, I cannot, I had like a breakdown in college. I mean, I used to have mm. panic attacks like in the middle of the night about this because I would think I have to figure out how to love God best. But I understand mm. the fact that this text has been reproduced for thousands of years and changed and like, and that so yes. many parts of the, it's taken out of context. Take it. Well, taken out of context. There's apocryphal texts that have been excluded from whatever the council of Nicaea decided belonged in the Bible. And, also, it's been, like, just as a person who, um, this is we a weird niche, but, like, my, uh, my partner does translations, and seeing how difficult it is to, just to move something from one language to another with all of its nuance intact blows my mind and then think about when we read like a I don't know like an Elizabethan era poet and have no idea because it's still technically English but our language is constantly changing and constantly evolving and mm. we we and things mean different words things mean different mean, things mean over different time. things there's like infinite um linguistic ambiguity that we have to consider right. as our first hurdle. And I feel like <laughs> it doesn't take a genius to point out that it's very common that people will change or modify or decontextualize um, something that holds power over people's minds in order to consolidate their own power in the world. Yes. Um, yes. And so, For okay, sure. but like, so I mean, that's, this that's is, how, that's how this... politicians um, continue to get elected. You know, it's all, it's like a, bro. Um, so. Well, dude. And also I, I want to talk about this because this is one of my low key. Wow. You know what? I was just about to say, this is one of my low key favorite things about the Bible. And I haven't really, because there's been just like so much resentment and kind of like, um, pain in how I've had to reevaluate my faith. So when I, we were talking about, um, the Bible being used as a political tool and that's the space it takes up now in culture. The space, it's like as you move through the Bible, like theoretically, as chronologically as can be verified, it's like a creation story, which of course is not unique <laughs> to, it's like every civilization comes up with a creation story mm. because that's how ancient people understood the world. And it was right. also like, and then right after that, the next texts are records of people they decided were important because societies, for some reason, have this compulsion to make records of each other and to archive things. And then there's like regulations like there's and I think it's important that you talk about the the fact that like homosexuality was maybe misinferred from sexual immorality because then when you read it in that context with the with the ambiguity of the language you start to see that like 
aside from this, like, sacrifice price uh, practices aside, I mean, that at that time in history, that w- also wasn't unique to Christianity. Right. We can recognize now that we're not going to, like, bring grain and a dead calf to our front yard. You know what I yeah. mean? But, like, yeah. so those things we can take with a grain of salt. And then the instructions given for living are like safety measures. They're like, hey, don't eat this certain kind of animal. It'll make you sick. Don't eat shellfish. I don't know how to clean shellfish. Right. Don't do whatever. Like there's literally so many things that are, and then there's also, that's like the very dry part of it, but woven in there and the things that I love to close read and find or that I used to love to close read and find would be like, Every single time that um, a prophet is holding a people accountable, pretty much it is about like when a prophet is speaking as God and, and, you know, I don't know, Jeremiah or Isaiah is like, hey, all of the sacrifices that you're doing and everything mean absolutely nothing to me because what I asked you to do, the instructions, literally starting with like in Deuteronomy, it's like, hey, if you borrow someone's cloak, return it. If you <laughs> hire a worker, stuff, yeah. compensate them fairly. Compensate, like literally workers' rights and wow. living wage is like day one. Wow. There's literally verses in the Old Testament about like if uh, a person is really in need of work, don't underpay them because they're needy. It's like job scarcity right. is being and then we have, If you want to talk about know, the Bible being political... Oh God, that's so frustrating. And then we have just like dude, owners and the, of so, giant then, corporations underpaying workers and disregarding that part in Deuteronomy. It's like every single book of the... Like all of the prophets unanimously are like, hey, you want to know what God said? Like, I mean, if however you want to take the legitimacy of these revelations, whether they were because, you know, if God chooses to write (laughs) God's law on the heart, then I don't know. One way to interpret that, I suppose, could be listen to the intuition that you have and your conscious that tells you how you should treat people. Literally, the things that continuously are demanded are justice and mercy and compassion. Right. There are literally so many, so many verses about just workers' rights. Wow. Yeah. And I'm like, that's been like the thing that blows my mind forever. And then like, but I don't know, people, people don't want to interact with the Bible as a mutable text because that's maybe threatening to their, to their identity or to their ability to like defer responsibility Mm -hmm. to Jesus who died for our sins or a sovereign God who's going to fix it. And we are to just, we're supposed to just trust those are that are in power. Mm -hmm. Absolutely not. I feel like there's so much that gets glossed over in the Bible. I was about to say, yes, there is so much, there is so much, um, radical, uh, criticism of power structures in the Bible. the Bible. And so when you think about the purpose that these texts served, at first it was like just instructions for how to like not die in like regular ancient civilization <laughs> stuff. And then as you see it progress, it starts to like, if you can allow it with its imperfections, it begins to become more nuanced. And then like, I just think that pe- <laughs> like... I don't know. It's it's a contribution to the discourse that is going on in societies constantly about not about how how much money you're supposed to give or who you're supposed to sleep with, but 
how you are supposed to treat other people lovingly. Mm. And that is still going on. And like, I just, I don't know, I, I feel at once very critical and very defensive of the church and like the Christian faith tradition. Right. Um, I just, I think you touch on this stuff in your lyrics and your, and your writing Mm -hmm. a lot. Um, Mm -hmm. Like this idea of heaven and hell being two physical places that we go to one or the other when we die. Um, In Mm -hmm. Faith Healer, I sort of, so like, as I was listening and I I listened to it, I listened to your whole record when it came out and then sort of in preparing for this interview, listened to it again, sort of with different ears in a different lens. Mm -hmm. And Faith Healer to me, I don't know why I didn't catch us in the lyrics the first listen, but like, it almost sounds as though like, is that you sort of like reflecting on your time going to those kind of rock churches and like, how, you know, people put their hands in the air and they, like, that feeling of, like, completely surrendering to a god and, like, you know he's going to take care of you and now you're sort of doubting that feeling and you're almost jealous of those people or that version of yourself um, in your youth. Is that kind of what you're... Dang, I feel like that was one of the most perceptive, like, yes, that is exactly it. <laughs> that is wishing that is wishing that I still believed in like a specific conscious god who was pulling the puppet strings of my life. Right. That I could assign agency for everything that was going mm, to happen. I was wishing responsibility and yeah. And that I didn't yeah. have to just look at myself and say I am going to have to heal myself. I'm going to have to be a better person and a better friend and stop hurting others as Mm. much as I can because that is what I have to do that is my work and I cannot look Mm. outside of somebody else to heal me because I have been blessed with and endowed with the tools to understand those things if only I uh, try to and it's never going to be like perfect but yeah I think like I don't know, because it's really difficult I've been trying to explain like the obsessive of religion and how that kind of translates to um, an addictive personality and like seeking escape through substances and I think yeah that is how similar that is how you like a high yeah yeah because you're like or it's it's a removal of fear yeah right it's it's the charis the charismatic like emotional um like reassurance that you get is like being in a codependent relationship. You know what I mean? Um, It's like seeking a validation all the time that like, I'm saved, I'm saved, I'm saved, Um, whatever, I'm God's favorite. Yeah, it's a safety net. Yeah, it's a safety net and it's very dangerous, but like, yeah. Here's a clip of Faith Healer by Julian Baker.
I have a question for you. Okay. And I don't know if this is something you might not want to answer. Go for it. Um, do you still identify as a Christian or are you like, I don't know, are you agnostic? I'm, I would sort of, I'll, I'll just out myself. I sort of identify as agnostic, um, because I kind of, I don't know. I know that I don't know the answers. And that's why I'm asking a lot of questions. Sure. Because um, that community or that idea of like community and church obviously shaped you as a young person. And me too, you know. I, I think yeah. there is a safe space um, that church does create for people. And it does a lot of good. It, You know, there's charities. There's 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 groups that go out and do promote social justice. And I mean, it really does have a lot of, of good redeeming qualities, but. You know, I've actually been thinking about this a lot because I, how I think of God or um, my belief is much, much different. And I'm sure that to many people, who are who attend conventional church and have whatever the common theology of you know Baptist or evangelical might be right. they would say that like I do not like I believe things that are contrary to the Christian faith but what what you were saying about like like there is a lot of pain there and there's so much there's so many negative destructive things in my psyche that I believe are were ingrained there by church hmm. whether they meant to or not whether they genuinely thought they were providing me with the information I needed to be loved by the one eternal God and live forever hmm. you know they probably did think they were doing the right thing right but one of them like I mean realizing that has been painful for me but right. the other thing that's been very painful is to, I think I got very cynical when I first, like, when the dominoes started to fall and I started thinking, like, I don't know if I believe in the same way. I don't know if I can conceptualize God the same way. The most painful part of that was, like, I poured so much time and effort and mental energy and obsessiveness mm. and true passion into, for years, into this because I thought that that was the right thing to do. Right. And now I still have, like, I don't want to call myself a Christian anymore because I am so heartbroken at the devastation and abuse that the church has wrought on queer people, that it has enabled so much racism and mm. classism and corruption. Right. I don't want to align myself with American evangelicalism yeah. anymore. But yeah. I, and as I revisit, like, as I, like, this is going to sound super weird, but, like, I have an affinity for the Bible still as a religious text because I am so familiar with it. And it's like, I don't know. That's great. Is it That's any different? Is it any, is it different from me being a scholar on the Iliad, which is also 
maybe a historical document, maybe a story, maybe a myth, maybe a mixture right. of all of these things. And people are. People are Homer scholars. And so it's like, what if I just f- can find value in the time that I spent looking at a compendium of like the histories of all these people asking moral questions and I just absorb that with love but also skepticism into how I try to live my life you know yes. like that I don't know that's that was a, that was an amazing answer that was okay um, cool <laughs> but so so how did your how did your parents respond and was it an affirming um and, and if you're not comfortable answering this it's totally fine no I'm actually um, I assume they're affirming comfortable now, with it do they like come to your shows and yeah yeah um yeah man i'm about to this is my mother and father are imperfect human beings and they love me a lot and i'm very lucky right. in that um yeah they so i i knew that i was attracted to women for a long time and tried to like squash it down which is, I'm sure, many people's (laughs) things. And I thought, like, I thought if I just dated enough boys and kind of assimilated into hetero culture that it would eventually Mm -hmm. click in my brain and that maybe I could, um, maybe I could, you know, keep that up for the rest of my life. And (laughs) I think deep down I knew I couldn't, but instead of just admitting that that was something I didn't want to put myself through my brain instead had to do a bunch of, I mean, a large part of my OCD is centered around religion. And I think it's for these reasons. It's like, I, okay, so if I'm unsure if God loves me, all I have to do is study and learn and think about it more and go through all these like thought acrobatics. And so I used to just like be completely obsessed with it. And I got to this like reasoning chain that was like, will I ever be able to be ungay in my brain? I was like, will I ever, like, does it matter if I marry a man and pretend to be happy and have kids and go to church on Sunday? Does it matter if I know for my whole life I'm gay? And that, like... And then there was just this, like, massive fear. There was a time I was, like, maybe... Both options are scary. That's the Yeah, thing. both options are scary. And then I was, like, initially. I have to... But the yeah. first option of coming out and just being yourself is obviously well, sure. the, the one you'll be most happy with. Sure. And, um, I mean, even, like, I... So, like, I started... date. I, like, got my first girlfriend um, when I was in high school... And I remember still being so torn up about it, like, before... My parents found out without me wanting them to in, like, an awkward situation. Yeah, sucks. But um, that's, like, the whole story about when my dad was like, I'm going to get the Bible off the shelf, and I'm going to show you all these verses about how much God loves you, and, like, you're my daughter, and nothing can ever change that. That was a beautiful experience. It was super sweet. That was, like, an affirming response. Yeah, totally. Instead of being like, nope, we disagree with this, it's like, no, I'm actually going to prove to you that this is okay, and here's why. I'm going to find some scripture. That's that's cool. It's super cool. That's a kind response. My uh, dad, I love, and my mom's response was similar. And I love that, although different, 
because I, I feel like she had, I, I don't know, there's so much tied up in there, but both of them were surprisingly not okay with it at first because I think they had both been raised in very homophobic homes, but like, I, they were like immediately willing to take it seriously and that's a luxury that like not all of like not even all of my gay friends in high school had but basically right. like i was like gonna, most parents will be like oh this is a phase it's gonna pass or they'll yeah. be like get out of my house and <laughs> that yes, yeah that's, but that's the worst one or like get in the car you're gonna go to intensive therapy but so like okay but then that there was all of that and there was how my parents received me but then there was this internal obsession with like I used to think I was possessed by the devil because I was Damn, nobody dude. nobody on my worship team That is some inner like dude, warfare like that I is literally, some psychological warfare you that, know like, some, nobody deserves Bro do you know you want to know the most effed up thing that I'll regret until the day I die is I was you know like my first high school girlfriend we were like super in like intertwined with each other and I remember looking at her dead in the face and being like I would not I would vote against gay marriage I would vote against legalizing queer marriage because if I am going to be gay and understand that I'm living my life in sin the least I can do is to not interfere with like how God intended marriage to be but imagine if that is the like that's what you really believe about yourself and it's like damn dude dude I so you I had to do a lot sorry. of like, untraining your brain. Oh my god, the internalized homophobia was so strong. Yeah, like I and I, you know, that's real. That's like the the information that I had from that I was gleaning from culture and from the literature I was reading and the sermons I was hearing and the politicians that I heard talk on TV that theoretically were totally. Christians just like me. So I should share their beliefs, you know. But I was like maybe 13, 14, and I mean, now it's been a decade since then, and thank God, I think differently, but those were very, Yeah, like, I think you've come out on the, on the, uh, better side, obviously. <laughs> yeah. But it's um, like, you're that- a stronger person from it, but I, yeah, obviously, I, I think that's why your music, like, is so relatable to people as well, because, I mean, I remember watching you just a full circle back, um, in 2015 and I was also struggling with that internalized homophobia in myself and hating myself Mm -hmm. and being like you know having a really hard time loving myself yeah um when you see someone else struggling with the same thing you're just like I don't know I feel like a light bulb went off in my head and I was just like a like I felt less alone I I think like your music does that for people and b I need to love myself more because, mm. like, if I were your friend, I would go up to you and be like, "Dude, you you need to like not let this mm-hmm. dictate your life or how you treat yourself." Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, it it helped me, and I think it helps a lot of people um, cope with a lot of things. So Dude, it makes me feel better for like seeing the ways I've faltered or I've needed to grow in the past to be able to address them in a context like this and be able to say like yeah but it's such I'm a, a dynamic thing human as being. well to do that publicly yeah i mean like doing that publicly it's a very brave thing to be like here are the ways i'm imperfect and i'm struggling with this and it 
I not a lot of people can do that. Um, and it's that vul- that type of vulnerability is so I I perceive it as strength and braveness. So it's pretty sick and badass. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. That is a massive, massive compliment. That is It's true. That is maybe the most meaningful thing that someone can tell me about my music. Thank wow, you. <laughs> well, I mean it. Um, sweet dude. Well, uh, yeah, now that I've now that I've gushed over your music. Um, thank you for doing this. <laughs> dude, no, I gushed at you. Thank you for doing this. Yeah, I won't I won't keep you on here. Yeah, for we should probably hang on cuz <laughs> it's now been like an hour, but um, cuz I I know you have a life to live yeah, but and this everything. Has been, but this has been this a is very great. awesome conversation. Just like your music has helped people, I hope this like interview gives people like insight and helps them maybe answer some questions about God or faith or spirituality um, outside of this institution that has possibly hurt them. Um, Dude, that's kind of my goal. This work is so important. You, the the work that you are doing is work that I am so grateful for because I so desperately needed it at at one time and probably still do. And I can't, I don't want to be like, I'm proud, but like, it makes me so excited to see people addressing these issues boldly. And man, thank you. And yeah, dude, also let's 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 hang out in person sometime soon let's do it yes <laughs> please we're you like in, we're in, in east Nashville, right yeah hit me up you have my number come over my partner and i will cook for you i would love that <laughs> all right I, I i will release you but um yeah text me be well thank you thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the recovering catholic featuring julian baker If this conversation resonated with you, please feel free to let me know on Instagram or Facebook at Katie Pruitt Music or on Twitter at KP Music. If you're part of the LGBTQ plus community, struggling with your mental health or just need someone to talk to, please visit the Trevor Project online. They offer a handful of free resources, including a support center and a hotline. I'm proud to leave you with another song off Julian's new record, Relative Fiction. Be well, everyone, and keep looking for the light.
The Recovering Catholic is presented by Osiris Media, hosted and produced by Katie Pruitt, edited by Justin Thomas, mixed and mastered by Guy Fell and Revoice Media. Theme music by Katie Pruitt, distributed by Concord. Artwork by Sammy Wiedeberg. This episode features original music by Julian Baker. Osiris.